The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the beginning of the month, beginning of the year, in fact, and that means it's time to revisit our awards. We're going to do pretty much all of the NBA's official awards for today. We'll save our kind of self-created fun awards for next week. But let's get started with MVP. Last month, I had Giannis Antetokounmpo. Who did you have last month? I believe I had Giannis as well. Okay, well, I'm going to stay consistent, and I still have him, although I think James Harden has made it a pretty close race here. Yeah, I was between, for me, my top three was those two guys and Anthony Davis. Davis has kind of a different case, which we'll get into a little bit later, but I have Giannis number one. And what I started getting into was that he's kind of an amalgamation of the arguments for different players. So his usage rate is similar to LeBron and Steph Curry. Incidentally, Giannis's assist rate is pretty close to James Harden's, which was surprising to me. And it's above Steph Curry's. And Giannis, of course, has a much higher defensive value than the offense first guys. You know, if we want to talk about Giannis versus AD in that component, that's something there. But I think Giannis has been superior offensively. And so that plus, if you want to factor in team success a little bit, that has been the that makes that kind of the, the tiebreaker for me with him is that he he doesn't have the best argument in everything over everybody. But I think his cumulative one is, is a little bit better. Yeah. And the advanced stats are in Giannis's favor, I would say. Say at this point in time, I want to introduce a, a new metric here. I talked a little bit about this uh, on a previous show. Uh, Jacob Goldstein's player impact plus minus PIPM, and basically what that tries to do is eliminate for luck. And where does luck come from? Well, it comes on defense from teams hitting unsustainable numbers of three-pointers against you or even shooting a better percentage at the foul line than would be expected. Free throw defense, it doesn't actually exist. And then on offense too, it teammates hitting free throws, teammates hitting more three-pointers than would be expected. Now that last point, he tries to regress it back to the overall team three-point percentage so that there is some benefit given for players who set up their teammates, for example, for open three-pointers and can help a team's three-point percentage that way. So it's another tool in the toolbox. It's a little bit different from RPM in that it doesn't have the ridge regression where you're controlling for the effect of which teammates you're playing with versus and then also who's on the floor for the other team. So it doesn't have that component to it. But I think it's another pretty good tool because I think one of the big weaknesses of RPM, for example, I think this is one of his inspirations for coming up with this. But if you look back at Kawhi Leonard's 16-17 season where Spurs opponents just randomly hit 37% of three-pointers when he was on the floor and 29% when he was off the floor. And so that really skewed his numbers a ton. So this tries to adjust for that. And I think it's one of the weaknesses of RPM that it doesn't or perhaps can't adjust for that. So Giannis is number one in the NBA in Goldstein's metric. 
take you through the top five. AD is two, Kevin Durant three, Paul George four, and Joel Embiid is five. Giannis about equal on offense and defense by this metric. James Harden, number one in offensive PIPM, but his negative 1.66 on defense drags him down. So he's only, I think, 11th in the NBA by that particular metric. So I think with Giannis, the team success, the Bucks have been statistically the best team in the NBA this season. He, of course, has been a huge part of that. And now, to be clear, I'm not saying that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA. I think we're seeing more and more of a divergence between regular season value and just who the best player is, especially in a playoff setting. And Giannis's weakness in his game, the jump shot in particular, is something that the Bucks are going to have to grapple with as they get into the playoffs. But I think in terms of regular season value, I do still have Giannis above Harden, although Harden certainly has made a, a fantastic push. Um, and, and I would say that those two guys, to me, are a cut above the rest of the candidates. Would you agree with that? Uh, or would you have someone else really in legitimate discussion for the number one slot? So for me, I, I guess considering I have AD second right now, I would have him in conversation for the number one slot. So yeah, for me, it'd be Giannis, AD, and Harden. Oh. And the big difference so is... you have Harden below AD? What, I do. What's the reason for that? I mean, defensive value is a big part of it. And, and a lot of what is ailing, you know, I'm somebody who... Who argued this is going to a different sport, but argued that Anthony that Alex Rodriguez should win the MVP in the year that the, I think the Rangers finished last. They definitely finished below 500 just because the rest of the team was so awful without him that it is still value added. And with Davis, I mean, he's a, a defensive player of the year candidate. He is an incredibly efficient offensive player. I mean, if you want to bring back RPM, also he's I think he's second in both R, R, PIPM and RPM. And Harden is a better offensive player. Obviously, we'll we'll get to his case in a second. But I just think the margin between those two. On that end, even though offense is more important to defense than defense to me, is just not white enough overall. So it's close. Like for me, though, that was the hardest separation in the entire top five was between those two guys. But for right now, I'm still going with AD. Who would you say has the better has had the better supporting cast this year, considering injuries, AD or Harden? It's closer than I think a lot of people would think, just because the Rockets, you know, losing a couple of their best players. But also, I think you can add like system and coaching support and all that stuff. Ah. I mean, Capella's been worse, but he's still a very talented player. And I think the biggest difference for me, though, is that the, the Rockets can put out five-man lineups that are, like, overall competent, whereas yeah. whereas the Pelicans just have some of these that are just... They, they just don't. Like, they're playing Tim Frazier or they're playing any number of other guys. Like, when when an Alfred Payton injury sinks your team or is a significant detriment, and Payton, they got him for the biannual exception. I think, I think that that's why I would say that Harden's supporting cast is better though I will certainly entertain arguments the other way because Drew Holiday well, has been better yeah. than anybody on the Rockets. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's pretty clear. But supporting your argument, the Pels with AD on the floor, about a four net rating and the Rockets with Harden, about a two net rating. And part of why the Pels uh, are in such trouble right now is they've just been very, very uh, unlucky. Uh, but, you know, Harden's uh, ability at the end of games compared to Davis's, I think is something that it goes in his favor as well. Oh, wait, can I throw I in actually, one crazy yeah, one? crazy non-AD stat using cleaning the glasses metric which takes out garbage time the Pelicans have a 116.8 defensive rating when Davis is off the floor that is truly incredible what is it with him on like 108 yeah I think it's some somewhere in that range 
So I actually don't even have AD third. Interesting. I have Kevin Durant. Kevin I, Durant. Is I have him fourth. Third. Yeah. I think he's having a very underrated season. Uh, he's fallen into the shadows a little bit with the return of Curry. But uh, unlike last year, the offense did not drop off that much without Curry. They found great ways to use him. He's number two, as I mentioned, in PIPM. And interestingly enough, down at 11th in RPM, Durant doesn't have much defensive value at this point in time. He'll have some moments uh, during the regular season, but overall, uh, really waxes and wanes. Pretty much all the data that we have indicates that they're no better defensively with him uh, on the floor. Um, but I think he still has been the biggest driving force on one of the best teams in basketball and still a better overall player than AD as well. And I, I would, when there's a tie, I do default to that to some degree here. Uh, and I would actually say he's a better overall player than James Harden and Giannis as well at, at this point in time, but not to spoil our top 10 players, which of course could change things. Um, who'd you have at four? You had KD at four. Yeah. So uh, I, w- I went Giannis, yeah. AD, Harden, Durant. I agree with a lot of what you said about Durant. I also... I'm just because of the the difference in his role when he plays with and without Stephen Curry. I think this for both of us is the highest Durant will be in the MVP rankings this season. Just I yes. think he'll he'll fall back, which is which is unfortunate, but that's what this is. This is a moment in time. And then my fifth is Steph Curry. I think Curry per minute, you know, you could make an argument that he's having a better season than Durant, but he, he has missed more time than any of the other players in my top four. That matters for MVP. I am very upfront about not including that as much in all NBA, but for MVP. It's value. You're on the four versus you're not on the four. He is actually, I mean, his true shooting is at 66% true shooting, which is completely ridiculous. And so one thing I wanted to talk with you about is I feel that when you, because you're, if you're comparing the offensive value arguments for Curry and Harden, that Curry is hurt by, in, in this context, in the MVP context, by Kerr's egalitarian approach, because even though he is a, an incredible offensive player, he just has less onus on him. He has less on his shoulders than Harden. And since because of that, you know, his usage is way lower, his assist rate is way lower. And so whether it's it's probably a good thing, you know, overall, except for maybe certain moments in the playoffs. But I think it does hurt Curry's MVP argument that the system is more balanced. Yeah. And one thing that would support that Zach Lowe had this stat the other day that Curry is running fewer pick and rolls than ever, basically, which is a surprise given the lack of options that the Warriors have had this year compared to past years. And also, Curry has not had quite the same on-off performance as he has in previous years, uh, particularly with the offense. And you know, usually he's right up there at the top in offensive RPM. That hasn't really been the case this year. He's at four, which is but you know pretty much in line with some other guys. Usually he's either one or two with Harden. It's basically been the case for the last few years. And then PIPM, yeah, again, he's kind of more in the in the five range. And then when you consider the fact that he's missed as much time as he has, you know, I didn't consider him that seriously for MVP at this point in time. But the man that I did consider very seriously, at least for the fifth spot, was Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is having a very underrated season, and I think he's really suffered from, this is one of those times when the early storyline of the season takes hold, right? He struggled probably the first seven or eight games, and since then, he's been unbelievable. So he is number two in offensive RPM right now, number five overall in RPM, 9.1 net rating, and he's played just about every game, and they have a 113 offensive rating with him on the court. I mean, he's just been absolutely awesome. Um, But there's really, I mean, the amount of depth right now, I mean, this was such a struggle for four through maybe even seven. It was just splitting absolute hairs. I mean, between you've got 
probably three consensus top seven players in Curry, LeBron, and Kawhi. Kawhi, I think, would be right up there too, but he's missed a, a little bit too much time. And then between Lillard, Paul George, and Jokic, you've got other guys who haven't proven that they're at that same level yet, but who are just having unbelievable seasons and have stayed healthy all year. So it is really just, uh, and we haven't had probably any top 10 players in the league with a significant injury. I mean, I think Curry has missed the most time of any of these guys. So maybe you could say Chris Paul would be the other one, but I'm not quite going to put him in that category anymore. So it's really just an incredibly deep feel. And that's why this has been such an awesome season. Yeah, the health is an important thing to bring up here. And with some players, I mean, maybe not necessarily in the MVP candidacy, but in terms of all NBA, if they can continue it, they're they're really going to move into a different part of the conversation. And Kyrie's an interesting one. He was one that I considered he will have a, a strong spot on my all NBA teams because so much of what has ailed the Celtics is not Kyrie Irving. And I think a lot of times this is similar to the argument I made about Anthony Davis. We demerit star players because their team is not performing to expectations. And I mean, Boston, they're they're getting into the, you know, they're they're right up there now. But I mean, with Sky High things, it's like, oh, look, they, you know, with best teams in the Eastern Conference last year, missed Kyrie for a bunch of time, missed Gordon Hayward for the whole year, basically. They're going in there. And so you thought, oh, they're going to be number one by a, by a long shot. And they're not. But they've been spectacular when Kyrie's been on the floor and he is their best offensive player. Their offense has been, has been great. Their offense is at, I think, like a 101, something like that when he's not on the floor that is not Kyrie Irving's fault at all so yeah I I don't have much opposition he was one that I considered along with Curry part this is going into something that you often say I just think Curry's a better player overall and so you know I'm sure. going to use I'm going to kind of use that as a tiebreaker especially because those two guys are similar you know they, they play the same position they have not the same but similar offensive roles and yeah it, it is a very deep field and we'll see where it moves I think that we are going to see some big shifts over the next month and then February is going to be all weird because the all-star break and other stuff and trade deadline and everything else but i'm really excited to see how much movement there is in this because i think it's so fluid for me with the top three for you with the top two and then everything beyond that it's gonna be exciting yeah Kawhi leonard one thing i wanted to note on him and the numbers reflect this to some degree i think he slipped a little bit on defense one-on-one he's probably just about as good but this is usually the age that perimeter guys start to lose it a little bit defensively and i've just seen a lot more defensive mistakes from him just giving up back doors fortunately greg popovich is in his coach so he doesn't have to miss nine minutes every time he gives up a back door uh or times when he's just lost his man or, or there's been a bunch of miscommunications involving him on switches and stuff so i think he's taken a little bit of a step back defensively this season um before we get to first team all nba denny what do our listeners get when they subscribe to our patreon the headliner for most people is probably our subscriber mailbags it is a an exclusive podcast not only in terms of the podcast itself, but also in terms of asking the questions. And that means that subscribers have a far better chance of getting our getting questions answered and often answered in, in extreme depth because we enjoy doing that. Like not on the most recent one, but the one before we had multiple 10 plus minute answers. And if that's what it takes to answer the question, we're going to do that. Beyond that, we're getting closer to the trade deadline and that means salary sheets are becoming more important. Great work on those as well, especially, you know, right as transactions happen, it can take some time. I'm really impressed. I'm usually not super involved in that, but 
but I'm impressed with how well I turn them out. And then I'm going to try to get more of Danny's story time, which is audio versions of my pieces, and then whatever else we can think up. So that's airport AMAs. I like to do that when I'm traveling. So that's answering questions, you know, kind of more spur of the moment, odds and ends and all that. And it's also a great way to support our other endeavors, most notably the NBA cast, because at the moment that is not ad supported. All right. First team, all NBA here. Should we just go? How do we do this again? Well, we go through go through the guards. Yeah, we can, we can do that. And then the mine is kind of easy because my my first team is all my top five for MV, for for MVP. But yeah, let's go through. Let's get let's do a, the the proper format anyway. So that's guard. Let's do guards, then forwards, and centers. Or if you want to change the order, we can change the order. Yeah. All right. Let's start with guards first. That's an interesting one. Uh, you have Harden and Curry. Yeah, I presume, and you have and you have Harden and Kyrie. I presume. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I still think Curry is better than Kyrie, uh, but just again with Curry having missed time, it, it was and just you know Kyrie actually being better than Curry in the on-off metrics this season. I mean, think back to when Kyrie that was like the big argument against him, right? When he was playing with LeBron, and that's just completely turned around since he got to Boston. He deserves a ton of credit too for no longer being a defensive liability in the regular season. He's made amazing strides there. Um, I think he has kind of felt like. Well, if I'm going to actually lead this team, I'm going to have to like, you know, fortify my own house so it's not all made out of glass before I can demand accountability from others. Uh, and then second team, I thought it was pretty clear to me again, uh, Damian Lillard and Steph Curry. I assume you're Lillard and Kyrie. I am. And and Lillard's season, I think, is a little bit underappreciated just because we talked about this a little bit in the p- players we wanted to see traded thing that the, the Blazers are so much of what we expected. But Lillard has been absolutely fabulous overall this season. And yeah, I think he's been the fourth best guard by a pretty significant margin. I had, you know, and part of that is also because a guy who he was in competition with, who I think I actually had above Lillard, I can't remember for sure, last month is Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker has not been nearly as good as Kyrie during December. So that made it an an easier differentiation line for me. And it was easy. Yeah, but to me still uh, on third team, Kemba Walker is a very clear choice. I I think there's a pretty big drop off after him uh, on the guard line. Uh, so then who did you have as your third team, your second third team All-NBA guard? Oh, I went through a lot of different guys here. I mean, there's certainly a good argument for Kyle Lowry. I think he was probably my toughest omission, but I ended up going with Mike Conley. He's having a really nice year. And this is another one of those, the team falls apart offensively when he's not on the floor. That's not Mike Conley's fault. And defensively, he's been, you know, point guard defense isn't the most important thing in the world, but he has been a part of some successful units there. I also considered Drew Holiday. I considered I, Jimmy Butler's position definition it didn't matter as much because they're just better candidates for me but i guess theoretically i considered him as well yeah i did in fact go with kyle lowry though the fact that he's missed time is a concern you know conley is certainly up there i probably gave a little bit of short shrift to his candidacy especially with memphis having gone six and 14 over their last 20 games but you're right you know i think a lot of that's been their struggles with him off the floor but i did go with with kyle lowry despite the fact that he's missed a, a fair amount of time I think, you know, especially how good the Raptors have been with him and then how much they've struggled offensively without him is also of note to me. And he also has a, a very good history of playing at an all-NBA level. I mean, and worth noting, even as far as Lowry missing time, he's actually played more minutes than Steph Curry, even after missing all these games recently with the back injury. He still played over a thousand minutes. Uh, some quick words on some of the other guard cans. DeMar DeRozan, just not really there from an advanced statistical standpoint, 107 in PIPM 
I think he's 41st in RPM. The defense uh, has been a struggle. The Spurs are playing a lot better, but a lot of that has been their bench just killing it. You know, he actually has one of the lower net ratings on the team. So he wasn't really in a ton of consideration for me. Victor Oladipo, a little bit less efficient this season. He's come on some lately, but he missed it nearly a month of time as well. So another guy that I actually have as a guard this year, we talked about him as a forward last year, but there's really with their starting lineup, he clearly is the point guard this year. And that's Ben Simmons. Um, he he and Conley would be my two toughest omissions on the guard line, I'd say. Yeah, I had I didn't have Simmons in that same group, but yeah, putting him in, in a box positionally is tough because his assignments change around all the time. His offensive role is, is the primary ball handler. So it's I, I'm fine with putting him in the guard line, but he, he wouldn't have been better than Conley. Yeah, he's having yeah. a nice year. Yeah, and Butler, Butler has played pretty much exclusively as a forward, so I didn't really consider him uh, as a guard in Philly. And his stats in Philly have not been uh, amazing so far. Uh, all right, let's talk forwards here. So the, the first line here is is not particularly hard. Giannis is my number one for MVP, and while the two things are different, that's not a big difference. And then Durant, I think, has been the best of the remaining guys. So so he is my, you know, I had him fourth in MVP. You had him third. He's having a wonderful offensive season. And defensively, he's not a huge plus, but very few of the other guys we're going to talk about are really, I hate to use the term, but two-way players. But so then you look more on the offensive side. He's been wonderful on that end. Do you want me to move on to second team? Because I don't think you have much argument there yeah no no those are the two that i had as well so then when you get the second team there is a very good argument and is i would and i would agree with it that paul george has been better and materially better than lebron james this year and it also doesn't necessarily matter because i don't think paul george has been better than durant and Giannis, so he's second team either way but so my two are paul george and lebron lebron has been a strong offensive player for the lakers this year they've been interesting in his absence but i still think you know lebron makes a big difference there his defense is you know i think it's been better than it was last year, but it's still not a huge plus for him. But the offensive linchpin of a team coming at a forward spot is incredibly valuable. So my second team is Paul George and LeBron. And while there are other guys that are having good seasons, I didn't think it was particularly close out like LeBron versus anybody else that like Ka- Kawhi and numerous others. I didn't think that was a, a, a really hard fight. I actually have George on the third team. I have Kawhi and LeBron uh, on the second team. Is, is that because you think Kawhi is a superior player? I think that's a, a big part of it. Um, you know, I do think George has been better defensively than Kawhi this year, but I think Kawhi is much better in terms of creating efficient offense for himself. Um, you know, George is probably, they're probably about the same as passers. Maybe George is a little bit superior, uh, but Kawhi is just so much more of a threat getting to the basket than George is. Much better as an ISO guy using his size and strength. Um, so it was very close to me. I did agonize about potentially having George ahead of both Kawhi and LeBron, but I ended ended up just defaulting to the guys that I thought were the best when I when I think it's a very close between those guys that's why I, I went in that direction but and Kawhi has missed some time LeBron has missed some time now Georgia hasn't missed as much and LeBron it's only like four games or something which is nothing in today's league um so that's who I had for second team third team I did go with George and then I'm, I'm very curious to know who uh, I assume Kawhi was your one of your third team guys oh absolutely yeah he was the, he was the next guy on my list I shouldn't have said that it was as easy to call 
Miles it was. I'd forgotten about the agonizing for a period of time over Paul George and Kawhi, but I just think George is having the better season for right now. I agree with you that I still think Kawhi is a superior player, especially in the playoffs, but he's there. And then, yeah, that last spot, there are a lot of, there are guys that are having good years. And so you're sitting there going, oh, you know, you, you could go that way. I mean, for me, Gallinari is, is an interesting one. I mean, statistically, especially offensively, which is, you know, to me, the more important side of the ball, he's having a, a wonderful season. But I'm kind, I guess I'm cribbing an argument that you often make with this specific player. But what Blake Griffin has done with the supporting kind of the supporting cast that he has is really impressive to me. And yeah, you know, the Pistons are, you know, kind of in a way like Damian Lillard's situation, the Pistons overall are kind of uninspiring, but he has to do so much shot creation for that team when Reggie's there or when Reggie's not there. They just have a lot, a lot for him to do. And they have a lot of shooting problems, you know, overall with their team, still working through the flow, new, new head coach and all that. So I just think Blake has the, he has the best case though. If I were allowed to like move a center over or something like that, I might consider that I, I, I I'm going with forwards. And so for me, Blake has been the sixth best forward this season. Yeah. Well, with Blake as well, we are not in much conflict here. Surprisingly enough in the three point shooting has helped held up for Griffin still at 36% on some pretty difficult attempts 58% true shooting that's totally solid as well I mean it's not amazing in the on off metrics but the Pistons have had a really weird year where their bench with Ish Smith was awesome and now it's been terrible without Smith when they've had Jose Calderon and then some of their backup wings have really struggled as well. So it's tough to make a lot out of the on-off stuff. I mean, among their starters, Griffin has the best numbers. And I also didn't find anyone else at the, on the forward line particularly compelling at this point in time. Gallo, he's playing way above his head, you know, some unsustainable shooting, uh, but not a great defensive player. Chris Middleton has fallen off after a crazy hot start. Jimmy Butler with between missed games and the Minnesota draw. Uh, I think if I had to say who's a better player between Butler and Griffin, that would be a pretty difficult call. Probably Butler, I would say. Uh, But considering he torpedoed an entire team for like a whole month of the season, I can't get on board with Butler. And he's also has been like uh, not even necessarily the second option in Philly, you know, between him, Simmons and Reddick, they all have been kind of splitting that a little bit and his stats kind of in Philly haven't been great. So I think Griffin, I don't feel unbelievable about his season at this point in time, but I think he's clearly been better than those guys below him. And I think before we turn to centers, I just want to say, just look at these guys that we're talking about, right? For guards, for forwards. Now, granted, there's two guards and two forwards in each team and only one center, but you really do get a drop off after these top five or six guys on both at both of those positions. And compare that now to center, which is just an absolutely stacked position at this point in time, which is hilarious because people were decrying the death of the center even less than five years ago. And it might be the strongest or at least the deepest, I should say, yeah, not the strongest, but the deepest position in the NBA, which of course has been backed up by a number of studies recently. And what's striking about that is a vast majority of those centers are not fours that have slid to the five. You know, like Anthony Davis is probably the most prominent. He's my first team guy. But outside of that, I mean, Joel Embiid, Nurkic, Gobert, Marcus Brooke Lopez, like a, a lot of the top players at the position are only centers and have only been centers. So this isn't a circumstance of, you know, over overflowing and, and getting the benefit from that. This is just a lot of really good seven footers or near seven footers. Yeah. And to that, and AD was my first team guy. I assume that was the case as well. Well, who did you go with for second team All-NBA? So my choice was really between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. And it's tough because I mean, Jokic 
is having a superior offensive season. I don't think there's much to argue about there. And then you're wondering, to, you know, superior offensive season to Embiid. Yeah, I believe so. Just in terms of also not necessarily as a scorer, but just as an overall creator, the what he has to do in the Denver offense, especially as they've handled all these injuries. <sighs> is uh, re- I mean, I, I think there's an argument either way. Like, I don't think that's not clear to me at all. I mean, like Joe Embiid's averaging what is what's the averaging like 28 a game and doing it pretty efficiently. Like that, that's uh, uh, 37.6 points per 100 possessions. Okay. This is what I'm looking at right now, which is, and that's right up there among the best scoring rates in the NBA. I mean, that's right up there with Steph Curry. I mean, really the only guy significantly above him is Harden at 45 points per 100 possessions. Yeah, and if we're, if we're looking so, at it as a score, I mean, Embiid has been more efficient on higher usage, which is always important. And for, for me, really what it is, though, is that, I mean, Jokic just his being the hub of that entire offense to me, like, and, and Embiid has a larger offensive role than a lot of centers, but that's big there. And then also Jokic, I think, has been, while he, to me, does not have the defensive tools of Joel Embiid, he has been an under, not underappreciated, he's been an important part of Denver's defensive success this year. And I've been really impressed. Maybe I'm giving him an unfair boost, but I'm giving him a boost because they were better than I expected when Millsap was out. So it's like, okay, you know, you're doing this. Philly has a lot of defensive talent. They did before and after the trade. It's different. You know, I, I love Robert Covington for this team. They don't obviously don't have him anymore. So yeah, I I I think it's not necessarily that Jokic is a materially offensive superior offensive player. It's that I value, you know, degree of difficulty argument. I think what he's doing is incredibly challenging and is more important for Denver than what Embiid is doing, even though Embiid is a spectacular player overall, of course. Yeah, and Jokic certainly has the argument with the the on-off sets. Fourth overall in RPM, his offensive RPM is just nasty. 4.21, that is better than the second best guy by over two points. The second best guy is Vucevic, and then Embiid is third. Carl Anthony Towns is fourth in that metric. Only 11 centers, by the way, are above zero in offensive RPM. Beyond that, Jokic, if we're using RPM, Jokic is sixth in the entire league in offensive RPM ahead of guys like Durant and LeBron, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. No, and I think Embiid has the box score stats, although again, Jokic's assists, like how do you account for that as the best passing center of all time? So it's really neck and neck between those guys. I mean, the Sixers offense has been very good since uh, Jimmy Butler arrived and Embiid has been a big part of that. I do still think that despite the numbers, Embiid is the superior defensive player to Jokic, but that gap has narrowed some with Embiid taking a step back defensively this year, Jokic uh, taking a major step forward. So yeah, this was like neck and neck Jokic was my third team you had Jokic second team then and Embiid third team yes I did yeah I mean and and I don't really have an unbelievable argument for why I have Embiid second team and Jokic third team. no I mean and and it really Uh, is those two guys Marcus Ole was came on huge at the beginning of the season but he's not there and while the position is deep I do think there's a line of separation between AD Jokic and Embiid and everyone else though yeah yeah. I mean Carl Anthony Towns has improved a lot since that awful first month yeah he could get there with Butler I mean yeah yeah go Gobert, I mean, there's, I mean, think of all the guys who, who are at this position. I mean, Gobert, he's come on. Utah's defense has been getting a lot better. Vucevic, I mean, he's he's dropped off, but not a ton, uh, certainly. And I think, you know, Gasol still has been very effective. 
Lamarcus Aldridge, he was, you could maybe quibble and call him a forward more this year, but uh, he was at under 50% true shooting when we did this last month. And now he's all the way up to 55%. He's at a ridiculous December. Uh, so yeah, a lot of really good centers this season. Uh, but despite that, again, I'm very underwhelmed by this defensive player of the year field. There really has not been anyone who has emerged to me. So I think a big part of the problem is that I'm just not there on some of the important players on the best defenses so far. I had the same kind of problem last year with the Celtics. So for example, like Steven Adams or Paul George, Miles Turner on the Pacers. Like I'm not saying those guys are, are bad defenders or anything like that. I, I just, I'm not all the way in on their candidacy yet. I Maybe I just need yeah, to see I, more. I mean, Turner's, Turner's numbers uh, in terms of the on-off metrics are about as good as it gets among guys who are realistic hands. I mean, defensive RPM. Uh, yeah, DeAndre Jordan and Hassan Whiteside <laughs> being uh, number one and two. I think, uh, you know, let, let's not put too much stock in this stat here. I mean, De- DeAndre Jordan in particular, that's just, uh, pretty ridiculous. Um but yeah, and so Turner, I mean, I've watched a lot more Pacers, really tried to hone in on his defense, and he has made some big strides, but he just hasn't quite been at that level for long enough yet. Um, you know, maybe at the end of the year, if no one else emerges, his candidacy will, will be a little bit more serious. But I, I just, I mean, this is why we don't do our all-defense teams. I mean, you really just kind of need more time uh, on defense to, A, let the stats mean something, and B, just to really watch a guy play at that level. I mean, I can watch as many Pacers games games as I can but you know I'm probably gonna have only seen 10 Pacers games so far this year so I want to see a little bit more from him but he, he's been awesome um who else was just in the mix for you but before you reveal who you had selected I think Paul George is the best prim- has been the best perimeter defender in the league this year and that person will always get consideration for me they often don't win but he has been wonderful and integral part of yeah. what Oklahoma City's done I talked on the 15 and 6 yeah there is though is the value over replacement uh argument right. for a guy like right. That. And I think he's been materially better than Kawhi, even if Kawhi has arguably better tools. I mean, George has been spectacular overall this year and deserves all those accolades. He he got serious consideration for me. And even though, you know, Utah has disappointed this year, I think Gobert, you know, his numbers aren't actually as robust as last year. I His block rate's a little bit down. You know, his the uh, contested field goal percentage, I think, is a little bit stronger, which actually means it's a little bit worse room protection numbers. It's still strong. I mean, he's still Rudy Gobert. Uh, but I'll just go straight into my my choice. And I was very surprised by it. it was not the player that I expected, but I had to do some digging. And my answer is Draymond Green. And the reason why is because this is going to, you've heard this already in this podcast, the Warriors defense has disappointed overall this year, but his defense has not. And the Warriors defense with him on the floor has not. It has been basically everything else that has fallen off. And he kind of bridges a few of the gaps where he's, especially this year, I mean, because he's playing some center, but mostly at the four. He does rim protection. He does help defense. He does, you know, some some elements of switching as well. And I did not expect him to be number one. I do not think this is Draymond's Green, Draymond Green's best defensive season. But I think right now he's the strongest of a weak field. Yeah, if he'd played more, he would be my pick as well. Uh, but he, he just has missed too much time for me at this point in time. I mean, I think if everyone just plays the rest of the season at their current rates, I probably would have Draymond at the end. Gobert's numbers are interesting on cleaning the glass. 
the last three years, uh, opponents have taken 6% fewer of their shots at the rim when Gobert has been on the floor than off. And that's almost exactly the same uh, again this year. I was including this year in the the last three years. But for some reason this year, opponents have shot 4.1% better just in terms of their accuracy at the rim, not the percentage of shots at the rim with Gobert on the floor. Whereas in previous years, they've shot much worse at, at the rim. And so is that something changed about Gobert at this point? Is he not as good of an actual shot blocker and intimidator as he used to be? Is that just luck that teams uh, are shooting better? Now, uh, worth noting here that teams also shoot way worse from short mid-range against Gobert, uh, 8.8% worse. And that's a number that's been pretty high the last few years as well. So he's able to affect shots from floater range in theory also. Uh, and that hasn't gotten out. So I'm going to guess that that number has some randomness to it. Um, and it, again, I think it's a weak field. Gobert would be my number one right now. The Utah defense has come around. Uh, Turner, I just haven't seen quite enough from him yet. George, you know, that's, there's a lot of really good defensive players uh, on Oklahoma City. And, and as a perimeter guy, I can't quite give him as much credit there. So I did go with Gobert. I guess Draymond would be my number two. Who'd you have number two? I had Gobert. I actually did a full write-up of Gobert as my number one. And then I started thinking about it more. I started doing more digging into Draymond and moved him up. Yeah. And then I think we need a third guy here as well. I, I guess I would probably go with Turner at this point in I'll go, time. I'll go with Paul. George yeah oh yeah you know I will go Paul George as well yeah that's that's probably a smarter smarter way to go but Turner certainly could get into this conversation as more time goes on uh coach of the year there are an interesting kind of collection of worthy candidates this isn't a year where I would say I I, my number one is going to win the award so you have that going in there but I have Mike Boonholzer I mean Boonholzer has totally transformed the Bucks I think we're getting accustomed to it a little bit but them being the best team in the league is remarkable he has transformed their offense and it's not even close by the way they are 1.7 points per 100 better than okc and uh i mean they could even get to a a 60 win level here i mean they're they're expected one loss right now is 62 wins uh they've won uh one fewer game than expected so far uh but i mean yeah they're the number one offense and the number three defense uh, right now and that's pretty incredible work so a couple other coaching jobs i wanted to bring up one of them is greg popovich i don't know how to apportion credit for what the hell is happening with their offense and this year's San Antonio team they're for the overall season they're fourth in offense I think 21st in defense so usually we attribute more to the coaches on the defensive end they have pretty awful defensive personnel overall with DeJounte being out for the year I still can't figure out the Spurs, but when I can't figure things out, I'm going to probably end up giving the coach some of the credit. Some of the other great jobs, Doc Rivers, I think is doing a really, a really good job overall with the Clippers, figuring out how to use this combination of, of players, empowering Shea to, to fit in with this, I think is a really important job. And then two others, Nick Nurse, Raptors, disparate pieces, kind of changing certain elements from what Dwayne Casey did and keeping their bench and Pascal Siakam's, of course, having a great year. And then Brad Stevens, the Celtics are figuring it out. And he also has been bold enough to make some changes when things were working and I think that's really helped the Celtics too yeah Stevens I couldn't really consider him with Boston playing a little bit below expectations how much of that's his fault it's hard to say but I think there is something to be said for a team that in theory has some guys who have the ability to get to the basket I mean Kyrie Jalen Braun Hayward although you know he hasn't quite been himself Tatum I mean these are guys who like can do are talented players and especially early on in the season their inability to get to the basket is concerning and I think 
he does deserve a little bit of blame there for not getting those pieces to work together in an offensive system I think also just the the lack of guys rolling to the basket in his system as well it's harder to get buckets at the rim that way when you just don't have a center going towards the basket they don't have amazing roll men but uh, nonetheless so, so Stevens wasn't in it I had a list of seven guys um, you did not mention, I don't think, my number two guy. That's Mike Malone. Like what Denver has done over the yeah. over the last month with all these injuries. That's I mean, a good like, call. I, how can you say? I mean, to me, he's like he's not up there quite yet with Bud, uh, but he's a clear number two to me. He slipped my mind. He is absolutely in that mix for um, me. And then, you know, for third, I guess I had Doc Rivers. Billy Donovan is probably not getting enough credit this year for the Thunder defense. And, you know, I do think that his kind of inability to get through to Russ has always been a problem to get him to play a little bit more efficiently. Although Russ is playing better defense this year. Um, Nurse, I agree. And then Rick Carlisle is another guy who I think should be in this conversation. I have the Mavs uh, around 500. And then another guy you didn't mention who is also in my top seven nate mcmillan uh with the with what the Pacers oh yeah are absolutely yeah you know, I, I mean i think yeah i think stevens is a better coach than nate mcmillan but it's difficult for me to say i mean don't the pacers have a better record than the celtics right now it's pretty close if they don't they do yeah it's 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 25 and 12 for the for the pacers 22 and 15 yeah, for the celtics. so i mean yeah, and, that's, and that's a good point to say i mean the celtics have probably had more injury concerns than the pacers have but i mean if you're going to tell me that nate mcmillan has had more talent at his disposal than brad stevens you know that's simply not the case and the Pacers have been better and and the defensive mentality I mean if you look at all the guys who had terrible defensive history that he's gotten to defend I mean Miles Turner has taken a big step forward Bogdanovich Tyreek Evans Darren Collison Oladipo really was a, kind of a theoretical defensive player until he showed up in Indiana I mean this is now offensively I, I'm not a huge fan of what he's done but defensively I mean it's been incredible what he's been able to get out of these guys Thad Young even you know was solid before but he's taken a major step forward in the end. I mean, every player on the roster has massively improved their defense. And I think that's one of the things that's most under a coach's control. On that point, the Pacers also don't have ridiculous opponent shooting luck yeah. as a, a, a great explanation for their defense. They're they're doing a wonderful job. They're getting it out of players. So yeah, Nick McBalen has done a really impressive job overall this season. And yeah, I, I, he's, he's absolutely in this mix too. And I still, I don't know. It, maybe it's just not fair that I'm still as skeptical about their defense. I'm not as nearly as as much as I was last year. But I mean, yeah, they have a lot of guys that outperformed. And I, I I don't know if you mentioned him in all the guys, but Sabonis has been way better defensively yeah, too no, for me. That's another, I mean, we didn't really have much of a sample of Sabonis playing center before this. But yeah, so I, I mean, I actually just talked myself into McMillan being third. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move him up there for uh, posterity. Um, rookie of the year. I don't think we need to spend that much time on this one. I think there's a very clear top three to me. Uh, Luka Doncic number one, Jaron Jackson Jr number two uh deandre Aiden, number three I, I don't i don't think there's really anyone else that i would put in that mix at this point in time i mean bagley's box score stats are in the mix with some of these guys but he's not nearly as good a defensive player as jaron jackson and then he's not as good an offensive player as deandre Aiden. so yeah i mean for me luca is number one degree of difficulty is a big part of this he is shouldering the offensive burden for dallas who is exceeding expectations and I, i've been really impressed with what he has done overall this year and I, I'm actually this is this is a stat I pulled for this. Dallas has a better offensive rating with Luca on the floor than when he's not. And you might go, oh well, you know, 
why, why is that so impressive? And it's because Dallas's bench has annihilated teams over the last few years, including this year. And so for them to be better offensively during the starters minutes is is something that I think is notable. Yeah. And again, I mean, worth noting here just how bad rookies are generally. I mean, to be positively contributing on a winning team as the main offensive guy. I mean, that is there's not many players that you can say that about in the last few years. Uh, and maybe you could say that about Donovan Mitchell last year, Simmons. But those guys are, you know, were two years older than Luca. And those both of those guys, I mean, now part of it is he's come to a, a team that maybe was underperforming a, a little bit. They got some free agent reinforcements. But yeah, I mean, what Luca is doing it has been really impressive. And then even Jaron Jackson as well again contributing positively on a winning team you just don't see that for rookies he got part of that is getting drafted into the right team that actually can be better you know obviously Memphis wasn't as bad as you know number four overall pick would indicate but those two to me and then Aiton the on-off metrics have not been particularly kind to him um the net rating when he's on the floor is a lot better but if you dig deeper into the stats for example player impact plus minus has DeAndre Ayton 50th among rookies and negative 0.73 defensive player impact plus minus. I mean, that's any center being below zero is really, really bad. Uh, and then offensively, it's got him at about neutral. Certainly, he's put up very, very good efficiency for a rookie his age. And that's why, despite his lack of positive on-off impact, he's a clear third to me. And there's just really nobody else that's even... I mean, is there anyone else that you could even talk about other than him for number three? I, I don't think so. No, not really. And I, I want to go through just so we have it out there. Aiton's counting stats. I said he was going to be a counting stats beast yeah. this year. That has, he's, he's been, been a pretty much what I, I mean, I think if anything, he's been a little better offensively, especially with his touch around the rim and probably yeah. worse defensively, I would say even than I thought he would be. I, I think he's been yeah. about what I expected defensively, but I was a little higher on him than you were. And so Aiton, 17 points, 11 rebounds, a block, a little less than a steal, 2.2 assists, PER of 22.44, which leads rookies. Usage 20.6 is lower than Jackson and Doncic, which is interesting. And he has assist rate is higher than Jaren's, but obviously lower than Doncic's. And yeah, so I mean, Aiden's having, he's having a year like we expected. I think that the big difference has been that Luke has been great and Jaren has gotten a larger opportunity to shine. And so, yeah, I would, I would go one, I would go one, two, three in the same order as you, though I think I probably have Aiden as closer to Jaren more because I, I think you price in a little bit more about who is a, the better player or better player moving forward but still that's it's the same order so i think we're we're kind of splitting hairs there who would your number four be bagley if you had to pick one bagley or carter yeah probably I would love to see if he plays more. He's not there yet, obviously, but see where, where Kuruks ends up. I've been really excited by what he's done so far, but he's not there yet. All right, last one here. Sixth man of the year. I have a surprise winner of this that I will uh, not reveal it quite yet, so uh, I'll let you go first here. Okay, so I'll go, I'll go from four to one. This is a loaded field, partially because big men put up ridiculous efficiency stats, and that is a, a, a consideration, and when we're talking non-starters, Sometimes defense can fall by the wayside a little bit, especially by point of comparison. So my number four is Spencer Dinwiddie. He is not the RPM king he was last year, but he's still 15th in the whole league. His offensive RPM is still 15th in the whole league. He's done a nice job often closing games for the Brooklyn Nets, which is another thing that I think helps any sixth man's argument is that they're good enough to play in closing minutes. Number three is Valanchunas. I think Valanchunas has an argument to be anywhere from one to three. Those guys are all, you know, efficient center type guys. And he's done, done a nice job. I've also, this doesn't count for six man of the year voting, but I've been very impressed with his willingness to accept that 
change in role. I think that's been very important for the Raptors this this season and more importantly will be in the playoffs. Then two is DeMontis Sabonis, efficiency monster, better defensively. I also love his game, but my number one is the same guy I had last time. Montrezl Harrell, their best center, closes games for them, should be playing more, but I mean, he's still playing plenty. And 25 PER, you know, has his defensive foibles, but a wonderful player. I went with Dinwiddie number one. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I think I'm that fine what with he's that. Doing, totally fine I, with I that. Mean, just this list of guys. I mean, look at Belanchunas, Julius Randle, Harrell, Sabonis. It's not that hard, it seems like, especially as a bench center, to put up just like massive stats like this. Um, Dinwiddie is actually number one in the NBA in minutes off the bench. 60% true shooting, 25% usage. I mean, he's probably the best offensive player on the Nets, a Nets team that has been playing very well. He closes every game as the main guy, which you know I don't think you can really say that about anyone else. I mean, maybe you could say Lou Williams, um, who's come on and I think will be a part of this discussion by the end of the year. I did have Harold number two. Um, very interesting, actually, that Dinwiddie is really good in RPM and terrible in PIPM. So maybe there's a, some luck involved in how well they're playing with him on the floor. But just uh, just watching the guy, I mean, I think if I had to pick what player who's a sixth man would I most want to have on my team, he would probably be it. Do, do you uh, feel differently? Would you pick someone else besides him? Off the top of my head, I mean, at least of the candidates that we've talked about, I would pick him. And also some of that is positional value. I mean, look at how many centers there are. And then at... at lead guard there just aren't as many guys and getting players who can create that's also why i think dinwiddie should be starting but he isn't starting and so yeah he again it's i i probably just need to recalibrate a little bit for six minute of the year because i've talked about this in in other areas to degree of difficulty and all that kind of stuff and yeah especially because i haven't i don't have the statistical rigor back background in it to get into this but it does feel like big men are over their their stats are very well represented in things like per in particular yeah, and so the, the maybe replacement that, level, the replacement level is uh, is much higher for big men. I think. I think yeah. that's So then, so yeah, that that is a good argument. And six man of the year, I think you can get into the idea of positional value a little bit more, just because that it does matter. Yeah, and I think because you know it's actually to me easier to compare stats of guys you know for say MVP than six man because the difference just with the nature of the way talent is distributed, the differences between players you know one through ten are going to be greater than you know the differences between players I don't know like forty through seventy or something in the NBA or forty through eighty um, because these guys are all coming off the bench right if they really were that good they would be starting so there's a cap on how good they are and so I think statistics. Basically, it's really difficult to me to differentiate between these guys uh, that well. And so like I did with Andre Iguodala when I voted him six man two years in a row. Uh, well, I shouldn't say voted because uh, nobody actually listens to me uh, as far as the official voting. And uh, I don't appear to be on track to getting a, an official vote. Uh, Taj Gibson back in 2014 as well. I mean, I think when I just look at it like, hey, who do I would I most want to have on my team of, among players who comes off the bench? Uh, I, I think it's pretty clear that it's in And I think even if you look at some of the contracts here among these guys you know he's probably got one of the more lucrative contracts among all these players i mean some of these guys are on rookie deals uh but you know other than valentunas who kind of signed his as a rookie extension back when centers were more valuable i mean i think larry nance would be up there too that's insane that larry nance has more guaranteed money coming in than spencer dinwiddie um so yeah i mean i think that if you look at just where they are contractually dinwiddie is probably valued the most uh, by the league here as well i mean kelly Olynyk is in that conversation or plumley but you know i mean i don't think either of those guys are nearly as good um another guy i want to talk about a little bit is uh marcus morris who bear, who technically
Likely qualifies. He started 17 of 34 games. He's just having a wonderful season, 64% true shooting. Uh, but you know, a lot of that has been him damage done in the starting lineup. I'm guessing by the end of the year, he will not qualify anymore. But I mean, this is a very deep field. Another guy I think we really need to keep an eye on here is uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who you know probably should be starting. But uh, again, I mean, I think yeah, an- another guy who shouldn't be eligible, but is. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's another one of those guys where I look at, hey, you know, who would I rather have on my team? Uh, he would be right up there in that consideration. Uh, Marcus Smart is another one. He's started 17 of 37 games so far, so he's eligible. And then, I mean, not really in serious consideration, but deserves to be discussed. Jeff Green has 62% true shooting, and he's played the eighth, eighth most minutes of six-man candidates this year. Good on you, Jeff Green. Um, did you have Derek Rose in yours? I, he was actually my number three, uh, although I think he's probably in danger of falling out at, at some point soon here. I think he would have been. I didn't have him. He was in the mix with Morris for just outside of my list. Yeah, so I mean, there's so many good qualified candidates here. Um, all right, anything else we got to talk about here? Or are we uh, ready to go? Well, I will mention that I recorded and it will be released hopefully in time for people to listen to it on Friday. My podcast for Real Jam Radio with Kara Lawson was a really fun conversation. We went all over the board from her playing time to still doing the announcing and analysis for women's basketball, men's basketball, how that informs each of them. It's a great conversation and that'll be out for Real Jam Radio on Friday, hopefully. All right. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back 15 and 60 in the East Send uh, me your mailbag questions uh, on Twitter. Uh, Liam's going to tweet a couple of those out, uh, prompts for that. So please uh, respond there, and uh, we'll talk to you all on Sunday. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.